This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson. I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Not too bad, mate. Not bad. A bit tired, but other than that, can't complain. How about you? Yes, all good. We've had a much better week sleep-wise with Maya, so I'm hoping I'll be a bit more succinct on this week's podcast, which is a very silly thing to say in the intro, really, when I've got another hour to go and definitely going to stumble over my words a few times now I've said that. But yeah, Maya's settling well. Uh, it's been a much better week sleep-wise. We've been getting out of the house, so a bit of normality in my life seems to be returning, which has been nice. And of course, nothing better than sitting down on a Sunday with you to have a bit of a chinwag about the championship weekend just gone. As always, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And a massive thank you, as always, to Cards Accepted for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. Massive thanks to our sponsors. And on today's podcast of course we'll be breaking down another busy weekend of championship action this is the championship chat podcast and judge for me there is only one place to start and that is with coventry city 2 norwich city 4 an absolutely bonkers game of football which i sat down and watched in its entirety on saturday lunchtime daughter in lap uh in front of the tv absolutely bonkers game back-to-back wins of course for David Wagner in the league to kick things off at Norwich. And I think it's safe to say he's taken the shackles off this Norwich attack. So often under Dean Smith, we we accuse them of being one-paced, safe, a little bit stodgy, a little bit boring, if we're being completely honest. But David Wagner has certainly released the attacking flair that we know this squad had in it. And to be 3-0 up inside 20 minutes, having scored three goals at Deepdale last week inside half an hour as well, they were cutting Coventry open at will with every single attack. The second goal was a really lovely move, albeit Hernandez, we thought the chance had, p- had potentially gone. And it was just a, a silly, silly game. Norwich absolutely dominating, as I say, cutting through Coventry with every single attack. Hernandez looked electric. Sargent was making great runs. Pookie on the last man, as we know he does, make such intelligent runs. He's not very, he's not obviously got blistering pace, Pookie, but he's got that pace over the first few yards, plays on the shoulder really exploits high lines or if defenders switch off those concentration levels. And then just a random bonkers spell where Coventry suddenly got themselves back in it. Nice place to finish from Casey Palmer, although it took about three replays to work out that he'd scored it rather than Victor Giocarez. Um Sheaf obviously scored, uh, Alan obviously scored before that as well. So 3-2 and 25 minutes gone, we didn't really know where the game was going to go from there. But in fairness, that little spell from Coventry was more an exception to the rule, if we're being honest. Norwich got the grip back on the second half. They dominated proceedings, really. And then Kieran Dow made it safe with a lovely bit of footwork and, and firing it in at the near post past Ben Wilson. So Norwich definitely deserving of the points. It probably showed what we can expect under Wagner, where they're go- clearly going to be able to score goals. They're going to cut teams open. But don't be surprised if we see 10, 15-minute wobbles where all of a sudden they look a little bit suspect defensively. And I suppose when you're going to play that openly and that expansively as they did, you know, there's plenty of times where both centre-halves completely split to the 18-yard box. You'd have got Kenny McLean dropping very deep, picking up the ball. And a few times he did give it away in those areas. And if you do that, all of a sudden you are massively exposed in transition. And that is the danger for Norwich. And that was shown by the fact that they nearly let the three goals uh, lead slip. But once they got the second half back under control, they'd sort of rode the storm that Coventry offered. They were the better team. They did deserve to win the game. And Kieran Dow's goal obviously secured the three points for them. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you've summed it up well. The shackles are most definitely off. And I mean, for any manager at any club to come in and, you know, get eight goals in your first two away games, four in each is is a really good start and a really good start. So David Wagner certainly, you know, kind of unleashed things a little bit and took the bungee straps off, if you like, and got things flowing. And, you know, you I look like at that. Took the Dow, bungee straps off. I've not heard that one before. I like that. It popped into me. I don't even know why I said it, but there we go. But yeah, Kieran Dowell, I mean, for instance, he, he's been absolutely resurrected in seemingly just two matches. I think it's two assists and, a, and two goals in two games. So he's had a remarkable impact on the team. Onel Hernandez on Saturday, 
he was causing Coventry all kinds of problems in both halves of the game. Looked really threatening. Obviously, got his goal. Bit of fortunate about it with the, obviously Ben Wilson letting it slip through his fingers, but hit the woodwork after the break. And he he is another one that obviously has lost his way a little bit. He's had a couple of loan spells out from Carrow Road at Birmingham and Middlesbrough, but now David Wagner seemingly is going to try and you know get him going again in the yellow of Norwich City. And based on his performance at the weekend. It looks as though he might have a good chance because he looks really key to the way he wants this team to play. He was bright, he was vibrant, full of energy, wanted to get on the ball, make things happen, run at players. And, you know, for, for Norwich, they need people like that because we were saying, you know, at the latter stages under Dean Smith, they looked like they were missing a spark, a bit of creativity. Obviously, you think to Norwich the last time they were in the Championship, they got Emmy Buendia practically, you know, conjured up everything. And that just wasn't there at the start of the season. There was nobody picking up the baton of the, the creative lead and kind of spearing this team on. Hernandez seems to be doing that. Dal the same. Pookie looks back to his best again. But like you say, they are obviously a little bit suspect defensively. They could very easily have gone in at 3-3 at half-time that game haven't been 3 up within the opening 20 minutes. So it's obviously an area that David Wagner does still need to work on. But they've scored eight goals in two games, both away from home against teams that, you know, are not the easiest to beat. I know Preston last weekend, they've had their faults at home this season, but not really been smashed by anybody, shall we say, this year. So it's clear that he's having an impact. And, you know, I do almost think that obviously he came in just before that Blackburn game in the FA Cup third round, which he did lose 1-0 at Carrow Road in his first game. But then obviously he had a full week on the train ground ahead of that game at Preston. Then he's had another full week ahead of the Coventry trip. <clears throat> and, you know, he's got six points out of six, eight goals scored, only two conceded. He couldn't have asked for a better start. But like you say, there are, you know, one or two concerns defensively. But you can't grumble. They've had a very impressive start and the challenge now is to keep it going and let's see where they end up. Two big games on Friday night, George. The top two both in action. We're going to go to Turf Moor first where Burnley dramatically beat West Brom 2-1 from behind to continue their winning run in the Championship. Really interesting game this one. Obviously, West Brom took an early lead through Dar uh, Darnell Furlong and then an absolutely superb equaliser. I think quite an underrated goal, this one. It's a, it's a lovely weight of pass from Zaruri to send Nathan Teller scampering in behind. And it's a really emphatic finish. It hits the ball so hard, so low past Alex Palmer. It didn't have any chance. And then at one all, Burnley were the ones creating. They were the ones knocking on the door. West Brom had been pretty resilient up until the equaliser and held off very well. And then the stage was set, wasn't it, for Scott Twine. Curls in a free kick, which we've seen him do so many times for MK Dons last season, even before at Swindon and, and loan spells at Newport County as well. And, you know, it probably goes under the radar that Scott Twine's only played nine minutes of championship football since the opening day of the season where he very nearly curled a free kick in against Huddersfield, which I'm sure plenty of people will remember on that Friday night. But since that 20-minute cameo at Huddersfield, it's just been nine championship minutes for him. And I think we all expected him to be the marquee signing, the main man of Burnley's summer transfer business. Fantastic scenes and, and celebrations with him getting the winner. Really good to see him and Vincent Company embracing and, and just reveling in the fact that this player who clearly has had a difficult step up in terms of injuries, but also getting into the team when you've got wide options like Zaruri and Benson and Teller in front of you, Goodmanson. It's been difficult for Twine, but... He's got the quality. He's definitely someone who is good enough to play at championship level. And I really hope that this goal kickstarts his career now in the championship and we can really see him go from strength to strength. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I watched the game in its entirety on Friday evening as I do most championship games that are on Sky on a Friday night. And, you know, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, it was a good game. I thought West Brom in the first half were very, very good. I thought they were full value for their lead. Thought they were very well organised with and without the ball. You know, they kept the shape really well. They, they restricted Burnley to very few chances. And then in the second half, the table sort of flipped where West Brom, they struggled to get up the pitch. They didn't really give Murich anything to think about in the Burnley goal. They, they created very, very little. And I think, you know, the signs were there that Burnley were going to get back in the game. And Nathan Teller, as you said, took his goal really, really well. And just to say on Nathan Teller, by the way, he has got to be up there for one of the lone signings of the season in the Championship this year. Nine goals now. He's been absolutely terrific and he really has, you know, adapted to life in the Championship with significant ease, I think, for me. He's been absolutely excellent. And then, obviously, the big talking point, the big moment that everyone will remember, Scott Twine, free kick. And it was one of those where, you know, so late on in the game, the story behind it, his long-awaited comeback, 
you kind of knew when he stepped up that this was going in. It was going to be a pivotal moment. It was going to be his moment. And like you said, hopefully for him now, this can be the moment that really gets his Burnley career off the ground because we know what he can do. Like you said, he was arguably their standout signing of the summer. He was the one that, you know, with respect that most people had, had heard of, you know, the likes of Zorori, Benson, they were unknown quantities, but Twine obviously had been, you know, absolutely terrific for MK Nons last season. I've just got his numbers in front of me now. 44 League One appearances last season, 20 goals and 13 assists. It, it was remarkable numbers and you can see exactly why Burnley took a punt on him. You know, he's capable of playing wide. He's capable of playing as a number 10. He can play up front if needed. He's an, he's an exceptional player. And like you said, for him now, the challenge is, can he, can he step up and prove himself? Now he's seemingly going to get a chance because I know he's not an out-and-out number nine. It is an area that, you know, Burnley fans have looked at and thought might be just one position we need to add to before the window shuts. But he's going to give them an extra dimension in attack. You know, he's he's a very clever player, really technical, got a great strike of the ball, particularly from long range. So I'm really intrigued to see what he can do. So it's going to be interesting. But for Burnley as a collective, though, now, I, I just can't see them not winning the title with possibly 100 points or more, to be honest with you. They're absolutely storming and blowing everybody away. I mean, eight wins on the trot now, not lost at home. Two defeats in 28 games. They just look an absolute different machine to everyone else. They're in a different league already for me. And I, I even mean that with Sheffield United, to be honest with you. Even though the Blades obviously beat Burnley 5-2 at Bramall Lane just before the World Cup. Burnley, for me, are just a class above everyone else in this league. Vincent Company. I'm going to say it again. I said it last week, but I'll say it again. People go on about how Burnley have had all this money to spend. The parachute payments, this, that and the other. What was the net spend from the money that they made? You know, they've they've done so much more than just chuck money at it. Vincent Company's completely rewritten the philosophy of the club. He's changed the style of play after, you know, best part of a decade under Sean Dyche. He deserves huge credit. He's done a magnificent job and just who knows how far this winning run's going to take them. They've obviously got the FA Cup to come next. They've obviously beat Bournemouth, the Premier League side in that. They've been terrific. <laughs> They're absolutely flying and, you know... How long before the uh, claret and blue ribbons are strapped around that championship trophy and they're lifting it? I don't think it'll be long. For me, the match also confirmed in my mind that I think West Brom are the third best side in this league currently. Um, yeah, on they were good first half, especially. They were, they, were, they were good. They did well. The definites for the playoffs in my eyes. Interesting tactically, they went 4-4-2 with uh, Jed Wallace playing off Daryl DK. John Swift tucked him from the left. Very similar tactics to what we saw Corberan play at Huddersfield last season when they went away from home against the big teams, particularly at the the win at Fulham, where they won there. That that sticks in my mind where Lewis O'Brien almost played as a makeshift second striker for, for the way that they wanted to press and cut the passing angles of the Fulham players. Very similar sort of tactics away at Burnley. And for large parts of the game, they frustrated them and kept Burnley to safe possession without cutting them open at will. Yes, there were some chances. Barnes obviously hit the bar. There was a few other opportunities where Palmer was called into action, but I was impressed with what I saw from West Brom despite ultimately falling to defeat. So for me, no, no concern there, obviously. And I definitely think they will be top six finishers. Sheffield United, they also won to keep pace with Burnley. 1-0 victors against Hull City in a Yorkshire derby at Bramall Lane. Daniel Jebison taking his chance after impressing last weekend off the bench. Got given his first start of the championship season since uh, the opening day defeat at Watford and taking his chance after four minutes. Predatory finish. He's not had many chances this season, as I say, not started since the opening day, but he did very well at Burton Albion on loan at the back end at the first half of last season. Obviously burst onto the scene in sort of the back end of their relegation from the Premier League when Paul Heckingbottom had taken charge initially off Chris Wilder. And I do think he offers something a little bit different in terms of skill set compared to the other forwards. He's a bit of a poacher like Billy Sharp, but he's also got the pace to stretch defences like a Brewster. Um, and I think he just offers them something a little bit different. How much football is he going to play between now and the end of the season? I'm not sure. But I think he's a good option for them to have. And clearly, like the man management of Paul Heckingbottom, you think how good someone like McBurney's been. He's not really kicked a ball since we came back from the World Cup. And he, he, he was arguably up there with... The best. I mean, I put him in my team of the season for the half season from, for his contributions before the World Cup break, but it's not a problem for them. They're happy to bring Sharp in. They're happy to put um, Brewster in when he's fit. They're happy to 
play Daniel Jebison and, and, and rotate that striking spot next to Illumin and Jai. And it's working really well for them. They were more comfortable than probably the one goal scoreline would suggest, in my opinion. Could have won by more. And then obviously a, a very silly red card for Tete at the end, confirming victory for Sheffield United against 10 men. Another good win for the Blades. And uh, they're just keeping the pressure on Burnley. Although, as you've just said, you think they're in a league of their own. Points-wise, Sheffield United are doing everything they can to, to stay on the coattails. Certainly are. And Sheffield United, for me, will definitely scoop second place. I don't think there's any concern about it you know I went for them as my banker again this weekend and it worked I'm just convinced they will just beat anybody at Bramall Lane they've, they've turned the place into an absolute fortress under Paul Heckingbottom and they never look like losing at the lane that's the thing if you've turned your home form like that like he has since he got the job from Slavita Djukanovic in November 2021 you're going to have every single chance of getting promotion and that's where the blades are heading so you know, it wasn't the most convincing, clean performance that they've put together in recent weeks, but it was enough to get the job done. It was a clean sheet for the first time in the league since um, the 12th of December. So, uh, 10th of December. So, um, you know, it's it's another step towards the target, isn't it? And for young Jebison, got his goal. He scored two in his last two starts. Now, obviously, scored at Millwall in the FA Cup um, a couple of weeks ago. So, he's certainly, you know, giving Paul Heckingbottom something else to think about and took his chance when it came on, on Friday night. And Jai, again, central to the goal. You know, it was all about his creativity and his his vision to spot him, just to dig the pass out and and set him away for the shot. So the Blades just continue to roll on. They're unbeaten, you know, since the the 8th of November when they had that shock defeat to, to Rotherham at home. You know, Burnley and them, for me, I said it last week, I'll say it again, I think the job is done. I think they're gone and I think they're over the hill and far away, to be honest with you. I mean... We're recording this on Sunday morning. Middlesbrough play Sunderland Sunday lunchtime. If Middlesbrough win that game, they'll still be 12 points behind Sheffield United. So it's going to be a tall order, I think, for the, the chasing pack to bring those two back into the back into the equation. So for me, Burnley, the Blades, march on, job done. Another three points closer to the target. The biggest winners outside the top two, George, Stoke City. They, they hammered Reading 4-0 and it's a result that... Stoke and Alex Neil very much needed. It's It's been a big January for them already with quite a lot of squad churn in terms of outgoings, but they're yet to bring anyone in. Now, Alex Neil was asked in depth about this by um, in his press conference with Radio Stoke and with, with the Stoke Sentinel. And he basically said that he needed to move bodies out before he's able to get anyone in and really reshape the squad. But they've been really bold with what they've done, really brave. Um, he's, he's, he's sent back... Some of the under-firing loans, obviously Delap's gone, but went back to Manchester City, now on to Preston. Tariq Fosu sent back on to Rotherham. Uh, Harry Clark was slightly different where he was recalled by Arsenal for, for them to sell on permanently to Ipswich, but they've also sold, sold Joe Bursic. So he's sort of doing a bit of a summer clear-out in January, which is quite interesting. And they're not going to go down, are they? Let's be fair. And they're not going to do anything other than, at best, finishing finish 12th. So if they can get some of those summer bits done in January, I don't blame them. But certainly bold and brave decisions because they're a little bit lighter now in terms of squad depth. Alex Neil pretty hopeful they'll be able to bring some bodies in now that he's shifted a few out. But in what was a, an interesting week for the club, rewarded with a fine 4-0 win and certainly their best performance for some time under Alex Neil, Campbell, Brown, Dwight Gale, remember him, all on the score sheet. Obviously, it's Dwight Gale's first goal for the club since moving. But... For me, I think it was Josh Lauren that certainly caught my eye and had his best game in central midfield. Perhaps a slight bit of extra motivation against his former club, Reading, who he left in the summer on a free transfer. But Lauren, for me, is a quality operator and he was one of the best available free transfers in the summer for any championship club in my eyes. We've seen him dictate and control matches in the championship. And when you look at his characteristics, he's skillful, but he's also got a bit of athleticism. He's quite stocky, so he should be quite a good foil for Lewis Baker in the centre of that Stoke midfield. And for me, in my opinion, those two players are definitely two central midfielders that Stoke can build this team around under Alex Neil. I think Lauren is that sort of quality where him and Baker should be controlling and, and, and dominating championship games together. And I think they could complement each other quite well as a pairing as well. Will Smallbone, of course, got the first one. He was the third man in midfield. But I certainly think Baker... And uh, and Lauren, as a base, certainly gives them plenty to play off. And I would like to see them play regularly, certainly for a, for a run of games, see if they can strike a partnership. Because 
I think they are two quality players that can certainly give Stoke the edge in championship matches. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, Lewis Baker, when he first went into Stoke initially on loan, he was an absolute revelation, wasn't he, in the second half of last season. He was scoring practically every single week and carrying that Stoke team. And it was actually a year to the day since Stoke signed him initially on loan last weekend. And a tweet went out on our podcast page about it. And a lot of Stoke fans were giving him a lot of a lot of hammer saying he's not really been at the races this season. He's been nowhere near as good as he can be. So it does, you know, it makes an interesting situation for whether him and Laurent could be the men when Baker's took so much flack in recent months. But Josh Laurent, for me, I really liked him at Reading. I thought he was excellent there when they picked him up from Shrewsbury Town. He really kicked on very, very quickly at a rapid rate of knots initially under Velko Paunovic. Looked really, really good. And now he's gone to Stoke and obviously, you know, Stoke have just had a really indifferent, difficult season. And It's going to be interesting to see how they go from this because if you think back a few weeks ago, Stoke won 2-1 at Bristol City. And I remember saying on this podcast that Stoke now needed to prove that they could go on a run of games, find a little bit of consistency for the first time this season. And, you know, that completely flopped that plan, went out the window straight away with them failing to win four games in a row after that, losing three until they won against Reading on Saturday. So it's it's difficult for them because they've just not shown any form of consistency at any point this season. And their longest winning streak is two games all season in the league. So it's really difficult for Stoke seemingly to try and find any momentum. It's almost one step in front and then three step back. They don't have the ability to string a positive run of results together. And you look at the next few fixtures, um, beyond the FA Cup next weekend. I think they've got Stevenage in the FA Cup, but their, their league games next up is Luton away. And that's going to be no easy game for them to follow up and hopefully get another win. That'll be a really difficult one. But then after that, they've got back-to-back home games against Hull City and Huddersfield in the space of four days. They've got to be games that, you know, if they really want to kick on in the second half of the season, they've got to be taking three points from each of those. So I think that's where we're going to see from Stoke. But, you know, they're probably not going to go down. But I don't think they can rest too easily just yet. They've only got 33 points. You know, they're only four points ahead of Cardiff. They're only two ahead of Rotherham, who are still considering a relegation battle. So I don't think they're out of the woods yet. They need to prove their consistency. And it's like you said, it's very interesting that Alex Neal is seemingly beginning a rebuilding project in the middle of the season, opposed to in the close season in the summer. So obviously, Fossu's gone back now at Rotherham. Delap's gone. Not brought anybody in yet going to be an interesting you know end to the window for them as we record this there's nine days left until the window closes see what they do but as I say FA Cup next then back to the league action again got to prove some consistency a good win but by all accounts from what I've seen and what I've read Reading were equally as bad by all accounts so I don't think it's one where Stoke can get too carried away good result good afternoon out for the fans but I won't get too excited I think we've seen potential flashes where we've, we expected Stoke to kick on, where they've had a good result or a, a decent performance and we've expected them to then kickstart a run of results. That just hasn't happened since Alex Neil came into the club. So, as you say, not one to get overly excited about until we see them follow it up with, with you know two or three or four positive results or an unbeaten run of five or six. That's what we'll, we'll potentially say that Stoke are starting to turn a corner and are starting to show signs of development. At the bottom, George... More concern for Wigan Athletic. Five without a win for Colo Torre. Luton Town, 2-0 winners at the DW Stadium. But we'll focus on Luton first. It's four wins in five for Rob Edwards with the Hatters. An absolute gift for the first goal for being truthful. Pretty awful play from Stephen Corker. Signed last week. Trying to play out from the back. Just dawdled on the ball. Had his pocket pinched. And it's a really good finish from Harry Cornick. And then great to see Elijah Adebayo scoring goals again. Three and three for him now. Really nice combination play with Harry Cornick for the second goal. It reminded me a lot, this is a really niche reference, of the goal that um, Danny Welbeck scored for Manchester United in the the 4-0 draw against Everton that cost them the league against Manchester City that season, but put them 4-2 up. It was that ball round the corner from Welbeck into Rooney. He sort of reversed it back into his path. Low finish into the bottom corner. They then obviously went and chucked it away um, and then lost the league title as it was in, in 2011-12. But yeah, oh, it, it reminds oh, me it reminds that. me of that goal. You know, just those weird goals that, that stick in your head. You'll have to YouTube it after we finish recording. But oh, it just stuck in my head as that. But this time it was Cornick to Adebayo. Uh, lovely finish. 
And, and once it was 2-0, you never really fancied Wigan getting back in it. They've not scored goals at home all season. They've not scored goals in generally all season. Colatori says he can see signs of positivity and, and that they're starting to develop his style of play. I can't say I'm sharing in his optimism. It was the wrong appointment at the wrong time. Well, it, it was the wrong decision to make a change and try and change the style of the team in a relegation battle midway through a season with a squad that was built for a more attritional style of football. We've said this before, but it remains a fact. And at the moment, Wigan Athletic are heading back to League One. But a really good win for Luton. Without Carlton Morris as well, it should be noted. And if they can get Morris and Adebayo fit and scoring together, they'd be a real handful for any defence. And I still would not rule out Luton Town finishing in the top six for me. I, I put them there before the season started. I think they've got goals in the team. It's can they get them fit and on the pitch together at the same time. Yeah, that's the task, isn't it? I mean, Luton, they just continue to go under the radar almost and just trundling on, getting the job done and nobody really, you know, says much about them because they're not considered as one of the, the big hitters in the championship, if you like. But if Rob Edwards has gone in there, you know, in his first six league games, he's won four of the first six. It's a really healthy return. The defeats in there were against a really, you know, up-and-coming Middlesbrough side, which I think was in the last minute. They lost that one at the Riverside and Edwards' first game. And then, obviously, they... they they lost 3-2 at home to West Brom last weekend when they were 2-0 up. So, they've lost against two really good sides that are in good form. So, they can't have many complaints. They got through in the FA Cup in midweek, beating Wigan again. And, you know, they just continue to get the job done slowly. And that's that's three successive away wins now. So, Luton just continuing to, you know, knock on the door, make the presence felt. They're on equal points with Norwich and Middlesbrough, as we record. As I say, Borough playing Sunderland this lunchtime. So, that could change. But they're in a really healthy position at the minute. They're seventh in the table. You know, they've got a, a positive goal difference. They've only lost seven games all season, which is one of the best records amongst those that they're in and around. Nobody's lost fewer than directly the three above them and the three below them. So, you know, Luton have got every chance. They play some really good football. They've got some good attackers. Cornick, influential in that win at Wigan. Adebayo, as you say, back in the goals. Scored against West Brom. Scored against Wigan twice this week in the Cup and in the league. So why shouldn't Luton believe that they're in the in the equation? I argue that they are stronger than last year. Rob Edwards said in his post-match interview that he wants to see what can be done in the last stage of the window. Says that he'd like to bring maybe one or two in just to strengthen the team, but was very forthcoming in stating that we will only sign players if they improve the team. We're not going to sign anybody just for the sake of it. So it's clear that they've got a plan at Luton and a, you know, a very positive one. The recruitment down the years has been very shrewd and very, very good. And why shouldn't they believe that they can get in this in this playoff race, which continues to be very, very wide open? So many teams in the equation. So who's who knows what they can do? But as for Wigan, I mean, I, I hate criticising managers. I know a lot of anger has been vented at the at the board and everything at Wigan. We what's gone off, but this has turned out to be an absolute disaster of appointment. This it really is. You know, Colo Torre, with all due respect, has only got that job because of his name in his playing career, with all due respect. You know, he had obviously a coaching role with Brendan Rodgers at Leicester, never been a manager himself, and to step into your first management job in the thick of a relegation battle in the championship of all leagues is really difficult. And, you know, he's had he's had nine games now in, in league and cup, seven of those in the league. He's taken two points from a possible 21. It's, it's awful. There's it, been absolutely no impact whatsoever. Wigan have won one championship match now since the 11th of October. I think I naturally blame the board more than I blame Colo Torre because clearly he's been given a brief. They've appointed him because they want him to play more expansive football and he's trying to do well, what the board want him to do, but it's, ju it's just not the... T it was a stupid decision by the board. The it was. They should never have taken him on. They should never have got rid of Liam Richardson. Again, I know, you know, objectives can change and the way they want football clubs to take forward, but he just got them promoted. When they were favourites to drop into League Two at the beginning of the last season, I think Where's if the they'd done it in the summer, if they'd done it in the summer, having stayed up under Richardson, it would have been a lot easier to stomach, wouldn't it? it even would if they'd started, even if let's say they they'd made the change the summer and they had the same run of results that they've had now, yeah. I think we would understand it a little bit more because he would have had the summer to bring in some new players. It was just the wrong time, wrong appointment at the wrong time. Shouldn't have made a change. The, the, the daft thing was. Wigan started the season reasonably well. You know, they only Certainly away from home. Their first, 
I think they only lost something like one of their first eight games. Obviously, the home form has been an issue. But overall, I mean, Wigan, they lost, you know, three consecutive games over Christmas and New Year, all by four goals to one. They snatched their last gasp equaliser at Cardiff. Then they've been beaten at home again. For me, it's just an, it's disaster written all over it. And I just cannot see them getting out of this. And I know the gap's only four points. And we've got virtually, you know, minus about three games. We've got half a season still to go. I just don't see how they get out of it. I really, really don't. They, they are a team that looks so easy to beat. They're littered with mistakes at the back. And they've got nothing up front. They've got absolutely nothing in attack. I mean... They've not scored more than one goal in a game since the 12th of November when they beat Blackpool 2-1 in the first game without Richardson when they were under caretaker charge. It's just an absolute nightmare. It really is. Obviously, they've not won a single game since the World Cup break. That's in the league and the Cup. And, you know, I really, really fear for them. There's been a lot of talk, obviously, about Joe Gelhart coming back on loan from Leeds. Um, thought it would have been wrapped up by now, to be fair, but it seems to have been delayed a little bit. Apparently there's other clubs sniffing and Leeds are weighing up the best offer. But you look at Wigan's situation, they've now got two weeks till the next game when they play Blackburn on, on February the 6th. You know, Blackburn have been indifferent, but we know Blackburn are reasonably good at home. Can't see Wigan winning it. And then they've got a massive game with Huddersfield a few days later. That is absolutely huge, that one. So for me... Wigan make or break time coming up the next few weeks. They've really got to find something. They need to get bodies through the door and then basically hope for a miracle because I just cannot see them getting out of this. And to make matters worse, no team has ever been bottom of the league at this stage of a season and stayed up in the championship. So history is not in their favour. We shall see, but it, it doesn't look promising, to be fair. Things aren't looking more, much more promising in Wales, George. Cardiff City, further malaise for them on and off the pitch. Protests before the uh, before kickoff against Carter, before their match against Millwall. Fans frustrated with the lack of direction under Vincent Tan. More negative headlines this week around the club's conduct surrounding the Emilia Arno Salas case as well. It's an unhappy club which is desperate for some direction, desperate for a figurehead to to guide them through these moments. Obviously, Dean Whitehead is still the caretaker boss, having sacked Mark Hudson last week, and. On the pitch, it didn't get much better. It was another toothless attacking display. All season, goals have been the problem. Callum Robinson has been a, a very um, has been the only ray of light really going forward, hasn't he? He's been their best attacker by a mile, but it looks like he, he's working on his own at times. You know, there's, there's you see little bits from Ojo or, or Philadine Badance, but consistently, it's only really Robinson who looks like he can make an impact in the final third at Championship level. They're desperate for some forward firepower and then when you give away the softest of soft goals where uh, Cedric Kipre is trying to shield the ball back to his goalkeeper or, or out for a goal kick I'm not even really sure Bradshaw nips in and pokes it through the legs of Ryan Alsop it's just a, a calamity goal to give away and when you don't score goals it just must sap the confidence out of the team because that's that they're not going to get back into the game they haven't got the firepower to score the goals off the pitch things are looking pretty messy still um, and Cardiff is certainly a club going not in the right direction. I think it's fair to say both on and off the field, and this week has only further impacted that. Yeah, it's it's a really sorry state of affairs, isn't it? I mean, probably along with Wigan, they probably are in the worst position of any championship club at the minute. I mean, I was looking at some numbers last night of Cardiff, and I've got a few stats here that I'll read out. Nine league games without a win. Scored just one goal in the last five. Not won at home since the 29th of October. And obviously still without a manager. And like you said, it is a club at the minute that needs a figurehead. It needs a Neil Warnock. That's what it needs. It needs somebody of Neil Warnock's ilk to go in there and literally grab it by the throat, shake it and get things moving again because they are rapidly, rapidly falling. And, you know, almost... In free fall, to be fair, nothing for them is going right. I mean, they've won two games since the 8th of October. They obviously got thumped by Leeds in the FA Cup in the week. It is really, really difficult challenge. But having said that, in the league, they've only lost, I think it's two of the last seven, but they've drawn five of them. This is the problem. They just cannot put the ball in the net. And I totally agree with what you said from the, I don't know, two, two three-minute highlight section I've seen. 
he was literally Cal Robinson was playing against Millwall on his own, wasn't it? He was the man having to try and create, try and get into the box, try and get the goals. He was having to do absolutely everything it seemed on his own. So it's a really difficult challenge for Cardiff. And, you know, Dean Whitehead has obviously got the job at the minute on a temporary basis till they find somebody. I feel sorry for him because he's going to, you know, get a lot of the backlash from this from the fans. They're frustrated, they're angry. But the owners need to step it up. They need to get a manager in place. They need an experienced manager. They they need a Neil Warnock. They need Neil Warnock right now. Could he be tempted? I doubt it very much. I'm just looking at the bookie, the bookies' latest odds. And again, we know the odds mean very, very little. But some of the names up there, Sam Allardyce is now the favourite. I mean, he likes a relegation battle, but I can't see that coming to fruition at all. Then it's Neil Warnock and Valerie Nismail. You know, I think that's more of a long-term project rather than somebody who'd go in right now and, you know, as I said, get it by the throat and shake things up. Chris Hewton features on the list, Liam Manning. I stand uh, by it. I think Liam Richardson would be Liam a fantastic Richardson fit. on the list. I, I, mean, I said it last week and I still stand by it. I think he's, 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 done, he's done this sort of job, hasn't he? He has done this sort yeah. of job. He's worked in the difficult circumstances. And I mean, another one that I seem to think was in the contention for the Cardiff job quite a while ago, who's still at work, Lee Bowyer. Another one that knows his way around the club with difficult circumstances. Got Lebo, you existed. <laughs> sure, I'd be thrilled to know that. But yeah, he's a, he's another one, isn't he? But you know, I look further down the list, and a lot of the names are just totally, you know, they're laughable that they're on there. I mean, Robbie Fowler, Gus Poyet. It's it's not Gus Poyet. Simon, <laughs> Simon Grayson's made the list. Or we can go for Robbie Keane if you fancy that at thirty-three to one. But I think Liam Richardson would be a good shout. Like you say, he's got the experience of working in difficult circumstances uh, and uh, as recently as this season. You know, but it depends what Cardiff want. Do they want somebody to come in now and ensure survival, just get them through to the, you know, the, the start of May and then reset and try and go again? Or do they want somebody to come in now and start a rebuilding project for the future, gradually building the club back up? Because... There was a high turnover of players in the summer. They brought a hell of a lot of new faces in. There was a lot of excitement, which, you know, any club in any league, if you bring a fair amount, if you bring a, a number of players in the summer, there's optimism, there's excitement, no matter who they are. But Cardiff went for quantity over quality in the summer. There was a lot of underwhelming signings in what they did. But Cardiff fans, they were a bit frustrated when, you know, people were tipping them to finish quite low down the table. But the, the quality in those signings really wasn't there and they've got absolutely nothing up front without Callum Robinson. They look toothless, they look flat. So they've got, you know, a really big end to the window. But more than more than that, they need a manager and they need one quick. Absolutely, George. And then just to round off, Birmingham City one at Preston North End two. Peonies away form continues to impress, but also baffle because of the comparison with how they are at Deepdale, as we spoke about on the pod last week. Um, Ryan Lowe throwing in Delap and Cannon from the start and they, they looked a real handful they, they worked really hard off the ball they're mobile, strong and they caused a lot of problems whether they can try and translate some of that good approach playing to goals that'll be the challenge for both of them between now and end of the season but certainly it was a, an encouraging first um, start for both players Birmingham should have cleared the lines far better for the first goal volleyed in by Ledson really good finish but just that, that that's the sort of sloppy defending we've seen from Birmingham over the last six games or so, 10 games where they just haven't had any sort of form. Defensively, they, they look quite poor. They've changed to a 4-4-2 for this game with Trusty at left back. Long, who's had a, a very difficult start, you would have to say, to his career at Birmingham. He, he cocked up for one of the goals at Bristol City last week. Didn't clear his lines with a very good header for the opening goal here. And then a free header for Alan Brown made it 2-0. And the away form for Preston's keeping them on the coattails of the top six still. You think that how could a team be challenging when the, the away, when the home form's so bad? But they keep winning away from home. But for Birmingham equally, the change of system hasn't really helped and didn't yield any better success. And they look really poor at the moment, a, a complete shadow of the team we saw earlier in the season. They've not got loads of injuries either, which concerns me a little bit more. I think it comes down to tiredness I think these players are probably jaded it's been a very similar starting team for most of the season because he hasn't had the options they don't have the squad depth to change the team around and even though he's probably got close to his best team out Hogan's back fit now started this one I think you can see that they're not playing with the same sort of freshness as they did 
earlier in the season. But Preston took full advantage and a good away win for them. Yeah, definitely. Preston, the mysterious case of them continues to live on, doesn't it? Absolutely diabolical at home, but brilliant away. And now I've got the joint best record away from home in the league with Sheffield United. It's it's really weird for them. And like you say, they are well in the playoff picture. I mean, you can't discredit them. They're only four points off third place, even though they're sat 10th. That's how bonkers this league is this year. So a really good away win for them. Like you said, Delap and Cannon up front, it seemed to cause quite a bit of problem. For, uh, quite a few problems for Birmingham, even though obviously neither of them got on the score sheet. Ledson's goal was terrific. Struck the ball so, so well. Brown, really well-timed run for the header. And, you know, for Birmingham, the problems just live on. They've experienced a really, really difficult period since the World Cup. I think they've only won once since the World Cup pause. And prior to that, you know, they, they were ticking along really nicely. You know, even in the even after the World Cup, after that win over Reading, I think a week before Christmas, they climbed up to seventh in the league. You know, everybody was talking about could they be outsiders in the playoffs? And now all of a sudden, they're down in 19th, just six points above the drop. And I said after, you know, I think it was the, might have been, can't remember if it was the Burnley defeat just after Christmas. I said something like, they'll be fine. They'll not get sucked into a relegation battle after what I'd seen early in the season. Now I'm not so sure. I don't think they're among the favourites to go down. But they're certainly going to have to be mindful of the fact they could very easily get brought into the real scrap to avoid the drop. And that would be a real shame, wouldn't it? Because we've had so many seasons of Birmingham scrapping and looking to survive. And we Mm. thought this season was going to be slightly different where they would be able to avoid that. Maybe finishing the top half for the first time in a long time. But it it would be really disappointing if they they did get sucked back into a a nervy relegation battle. As recently as mid-December. I was, you know, I was thinking Birmingham have got absolutely nothing to worry about. They were they were seventh, as I say, after that Reading victory on the sixteenth of December, I think it was. Yeah, they were they were up to seventh. And you know, they're now they're now down to nineteenth. They've lost five games in a row. It, it's really, really difficult. You know, they've not led at any point in the last five games. And you know, they nearly chucked that lead away against Reading, let's not forget. They were three up in that game and it finished three two. So it's really, really weird for Birmingham, you know, how the drop-off has been there. Because John Eustace, everybody was singing the praise of him. What a brilliant, brilliant job he was doing. And all of a sudden, I want to say the wheels are coming off. But like you said, they, they look tired. They look, you know, they look as though they're running on empty, which is surprising where, even though you've said, obviously, the thinness of the squad, Birmingham have actually used nearly more players than anyone else in the league this season which I was surprised by. I've just looked it up and only Watford and Huddersfield have used more players than Birmingham this year, which did surprise me. So, you know, I look at it and is it a question of the lacking quality? Is it defensive issues? I would argue possibly yes, because in attack, you know, on paper, they've not got a bad crop of forwards. I know they're getting on in their later years, Jukovic, Dini, but they've still got themselves goals in recent games. Kadra obviously is coming on loan. He's shown some flashes, but I think we need to see more from the likes of Chong and players like that in an attacking sense with their output, because we know Chong, we know what he's capable of, but they've just not seen it enough this season. So a really difficult time for Birmingham at the minute. Five defeats on the trot is never easy. So for me, they do need to look at doing something, you know, towards the end of the window. I think any questions of sacking John Eustace are just non-starters. I don't think they need to head down that road yet. They They are a club that need a sense of, you know, stability. They do desperately need that. They've had too much chopping changing, you know, in, in recent years, but they just need to find a way to, you know, rediscover a little bit of form. Obviously, they've got the the FA Cup next trip to Blackburn ne- next Saturday. Then the league resumes with a trip to Swansea, not easy. And then a big game against West Brom at home, which promises to have a little bit of edge to it with obviously the rivalry in that one. So, it's, it's a big period for Birmingham coming up. They've got some tough games at Norwich within the next five games as well. But they've got the likes of Cardiff and Huddersfield. So they're the games that they really need to do, try and get something from. Just to just to arrest this slide a little bit, I'm not worried about them too much, but they've certainly got to watch themselves. I think that's the best way to sum it up. Yeah, I would agree. Three draws in the Championship this weekend. Apparently, Blackburn Rovers did a draw. There's a rumour going round that Blackburn Rovers have drawn a league game. One all at Bristol City. Uh, took the lead for a really nice finish from Bradley Dyke. Well-worked move with Tyler Morton cutting the ball back. Um, Kaminsky should do better for me. For uh, Palm Zach Viner shot straight back into the path of Antoine Semenyo. 
and that made it one all. And then Blackburn had to, to see out the last 15 minutes with 10 men after Daniel Ayala was sent off. So good that Blackburn managed to get over the line with that. Um, obviously conceded late at Sunderland relatively recently, managed to hold on with 10 men. So that was a, a good point, I think, in isolation. It's always disappointing when you're obviously ahead in a match away from home. But given the circumstances they finished it and given how they've crumbled previously, a, a good result to finally get a league draw. Bonkers, bonkers football club. Uh, Watford won, Rotherham United won. Really good point for Rotherham as well, building on last week's win over Rovers. Um, Shane Ferguson on target at the back post. Really nice finish before. Ferreira hit a, a lovely daisy cutter from range that flew past the goalkeeper. As I mentioned earlier, they brought Tariq Fosu in on loan from Brentford this season, which I think is a very good signing for them. He came straight in and, and, and missed a really good chance that would have nicked it at the end for them, which would have been a massive win for Matt Taylor's side. Good save by Daniel Batman, but a very good point for the Millers nonetheless. And then QPR won, Swansea City won. It's now one win in seven for Critchley, but only one defeat. So it depends how you want to look at it. it that, that was a, how it often comes when you've got such a, a run of draws in the championship. Jamal Lowe put them ahead, but they missed a boatload of chances to get that second goal. I think the Swansea's certainly they're playing out from the back, caused them more problems than it did progress. Stephen Bender and then Andrew Fisher, who came on later on, both causing a bit of trouble while they were trying to build out from the back. And QPR, unfortunately, couldn't take advantage. Then they get hit with the sucker punch with Jay Fulton putting Swansea level. One all it finished at QPR. And then the other game, George, in the championship um, was Huddersfield v Blackpool. That got called off due to a frozen pitch, but... Blackpool have made an appointment. Mick McCarthy's in at Bloomfield Road until the end of the season. I'd like your thoughts first and foremost. What do you make of the appointment? In a word, solid, I think could probably be the word. You know, Mick Do McCarthy, you think it gives them a better chance of staying up? 100%. I don't agree. Absolutely 100%. Yes, you know, Mick McCarthy, Big Mick, the legend that he is, he's had to put up with a lot of criticism for his style of play down the years dinosaur tag and all that but he you know he's got a decent record in the championship he went in at Cardiff whenever when, it was when was the last time he did a successful ago. job job in the championship Wolves that was in 2008 <laughs> I know he would have gone back for a long time for a promotion sort of thing but you think back to what he did at Cardiff when he went in there did he do know, a good job at Cardiff a, when he initially went in short term when he initially went in you know he got the wins on the board they were flying up the table. Obviously, it did turn sour towards the end. But I think, you know, he's a steady pair of hands. He knows the league. It might not be the most attractive, brilliant football. But if it keeps Blackpool out of jail, they can't complain. So personally, I think for the situation they're in, I don't think necessarily it's a good long-term appointment. But I think to the end of the season, with the objective of avoiding the drop, a steady pair of hands, knowledge of the championship probably better than pretty much anybody, I think it's a solid move. I really do. I disagree. Agree. I can tell that. No, I, dis face. I disagree. I think it's been a long time since Mick McCarthy was successful in the championship. I think that this squad doesn't scream to me like it's got the sort of leaders and players that Mick McCarthy thrives on, like he had at Cardiff, for example, with your Sean Morrison, Sol Bambers, uh, Joe Rawls. I'm not sure it's that sort of squad. They've just brought in some new players, Morgan Rogers and... Uh, Josh Bowler's come back. Two players that are skillful players that will give Mike would have helped Michael Appleton twofold. And I've said a few times, and I know Blackpool fans were never keen on Michael Appleton, but I think he's been dealt a little bit of a raw hand because I think he's got probably probably had the worst squad in the division. He had his best player sold on it deadline day. They've had really bad injuries to key players at key times, particularly in attacking areas. And to then back him and bring in two really good players that you know, Rogers obviously thrived under him at Lincoln. He, you know, Rogers has come to Blackpool to play with Michael Appleton, I would suspect personally. And to finally give him those tools and then sack him because they lost to Watford, I just think that personally, I think they would have been better sticking with Michael Appleton, certainly for a little bit longer. Give him January, let him use these players that he brought back because bringing in Morgan Rogers and Josh Bowler is a complete upgrade on what he's already got in this squad. You know, the, the quality of what he had to what he's given, and then you give him one week. I just don't understand it personally. And I'm not convinced that, you know, I'm not so sold on Michael Appleton that I think it's a shocking decision to sack him. But I think to sack him and bring in Mick McCarthy, personally, I don't see that as an obvious upgrade at all. So if they sacked him and brought in someone else, I'd be saying, yeah, fair enough. 
I don't think Mick McCarthy's oh. recent track record in the championship suggests that he is any more likely to keep them in the league than Michael Upton would have been with the new signings that he was getting in January. Well, we shall see, won't we? We shall see. I mean, you know, the owners obviously felt a change was the right time. And I personally was never swayed on Michael Appleton. Michael Appleton is really sort of a, a strange manager. He's capable of doing brilliant, brilliant jobs and then really, really poor ones. And, you know, it seems, seemingly plagued him through throughout his career. Obviously, he did a good job at Oxford. Then obviously had torrid spells elsewhere. You know, Mick McCarthy, for me, as a short-term appointment, comes in, steady pair of hands, knows the league very, very well, well-experienced in this league. Personally, I think he will keep them up. I'm going to go on record now and say yes. I, I think I think they'd have stayed up under Michael Appleton. I think they'd have stayed up under Michael Appleton. I think the squad is better. I think bringing in Bowler and Rogers are two really, really good signings yeah, that they're, elevate they're the squad signings. above and, above know, the bottom he, three. So I, I think they would have stayed up regardless. He would have been frustrated now that obviously he didn't get the chance to get that first game going on, on Saturday against Huddersfield Sire. You know that Blackpool would have looked at and thought, massive game this, one we've got to win. So in that respect, it is a bit of a downer. But on the other flip side of the coin, it's now going to give him the best part of a full week to get to know his squad on the training ground without the hindrance of a game. His first game is going to be Southampton away in the FA Cup. You know, chance for Blackpool really a free hit. See what they yeah, can no, do. No, no one cares. <laughs> but it's not going to be the be-all and end-all. I mean, no disrespect to Blackpool. If they do beat Southampton, it's not likely they're going to go all the way and win the FA Cup as much as they'd love to. But his first league game... He couldn't have really asked for a, for a tougher assignment than Middlesbrough away from home with the way they've been going under Michael Carrick. So that's going to be a big one. Then he's got Rotherham at home and that is one that, you know, he's going to be pivotal. That's going to be the one where he's going to be judged and think these are the sort of games we've got to win if we're going to stay in this league this season. So we shall see. Personally, I think it's a solid choice for the short term. Not necessarily saying for, you know, the next two seasons, if they keep them up this year, they continue with him. But for now... Let's see what he can do. I think they need a few bodies before the window shuts. It'll be interesting to see what route he goes down, what he wants to add. But we shall see. And, you know, that, that departure, I don't know if you saw it on the on the Twitter page of the day, only 10 clubs now in the Championship have still got the same manager that they started the season with. And it's not even the end of January. Absolutely bonkers. <laughs> Absolutely. Interesting debate there. Blackpool fans, tweet us at ChampChatPod24. Let us know what you think about the decision. Clearly a little bit of contrasting opinion between myself and Joe so it would be great to hear your thoughts and that does mark the end of this week's championship chat podcast please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week follow us on twitter and instagram at champ chat pod 24 for the latest championship news and as always a huge thanks to our sponsors cards accepted for their support this season make sure you go and check them out for any of your business needs Thanks for listening as always and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.